Thanks, y'all. Y'all can have a seat. My name is Dave, and uh, like Carl said, and I appreciate his having me here to teach you this morning. Appreciate y'all having me here. Um, my, one of my very favorite places on planet Earth is in this building on the screen right here. It is the Dean E. Smith Student Activity Center, AKA the Smith Center, AKA the Dean Dome in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where the University of North Carolina men's basketball team plays their home games. As an undergraduate student there in the 80s and 90s, and then later as a pastor in that uh, city, um, I have attended more than my fair share of UNC home games. And usually, I remember something about something that happened on the court, a great play, a, you know, a buzzer beater, that kind of thing. But one time, I went to one of these games with my wife, Angie, and something happened that I remember in the stands. And it was very puzzling to me at the time. Uh, we were in the upper deck, didn't have, you know, great seats, but we're in the building, and um, a, an older couple, I, I say older, they were older to me then, they might be even younger than I am today, I don't know. But they, they came and to sit behind us a couple of rows back, and they were sort of overdressed for the occasion of a basketball game. He was wearing a sport coat with a necktie, and she was in a dress and high heels, and uh, I'd never seen them before or since, and they came and sat several rows behind us. And after the players were introduced and we'd sung the national anthem, um, play started, the ball was tipped, and a bunch of us were, were standing in excitement, and uh, we started hearing these people behind us say, down in front, sit down, down in front, sit down, sit down, I can't see, sit down. And people in the row, either we kind of like rolled our eyes at each other, it's like, really? Okay. And we would kind of sit down, but then lo and behold, it's a you know, basketball game, so it's exciting, and we jump up out of our seats, somebody, and then like, down in front, sit down, down in front. Now, you think I'm exaggerating. That is exactly the way that man's voice sounded. <laughs> Remember it well. And this went on throughout the first half and then into the second half. And uh, at some point, they, they got up and left even before the outcome of the game uh, had been decided. And I just wondered, I'm still perplexed to this day, did they think they were going to another place? Did they think they were going to a symphony concert? where people don't stand up in the middle of the song and you, don't, you yell at them to sit down. I mean, when I, when I attend a Carolina basketball game, I, I, I'm not just there to watch. I'm there to participate. I mean, I'm there to cheer on my Tar Heels. Yay, go team, and motivate them, encourage them. I'm there to try to rattle and distract the opponent. Boo! And if possible, I'm there to try to influence the officials to see the game my way. But these folks, it's like they didn't really understand why they were there or what was expected of them. And as the game went on while they were hollering at people to sit down, it's like they didn't seem to be enjoying themselves. And they were kind of tamping down the enjoyment of dozens of people in front of them. And I have that suspicion, because I've been a pastor for a long time, that this can be a problem also in church. That yes, we may not fully understand or appreciate what it is we're here to do or the way we're here to do it. Even if you've grown up in church, been in church a long time, you may know what to do in a worship service, but how to do it. How does God want us to worship? Are we worshiping the way God wants? 
Now, being Denver, Colorado, I know we're probably from all over the place, and we probably come from a variety of different worship traditions if you have Christianity in your background. Some of us uh, may come from a, a high church tradition, think Anglican or maybe Lutheran or United Methodist, something like that, where worship is very formal because the highest value is reverence for Almighty God, and rightly so. This is worship we might say as hands-folded worship. Others of us in the room may come from a, a Baptist background where, where that's uh, the highest value is, not, it's not that reverence isn't a value, but a higher value may be celebration of what God has done for us. And we might think of that as uh, hands-clapped worship. And then still others of you may have come from a, a Pentecostal background where the highest value, it's a, it's a more, less formal experience. And the highest value is experiencing the Spirit of God. Think hands raised worship. And all of these are great. And all of these have their place. But for Centennial Covenant Church, here now this morning, what does God want us to do in worship? Are we going to worship the way God wants? Well, a good place to learn about worship is from the Old Testament book of Psalms. And one of the most famous psalms is Psalm 100. So you have a Bible with you uh, in a book form or on your device. Uh, if you want to turn to Psalm 100, it's the book that kind of is right in the middle of your Bible. If you just sort of let it drop open to the middle, there's probably going to be in Psalms. Flip to Psalm 100. And if you don't have a, uh, access to a Bible, we'll have the text. There it is. Psalm 100, verse 1. The psalmist says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Stop right there. First point, can't miss this. What does God want from us in worship? God wants worship full of joy. God wants worship full of joy. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with Gladness come before him with joyful songs. You know, some parts of the Bible are kind of hard to understand, and you need Carl to come up and explain to you what it means. Psalm 100 is not that part of the Bible. I get it. I looked in the Hebrew just to make sure I was interpreting this properly. The verb that translated shout in Hebrew means let out a great big shout. And I checked the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, just to make sure I had this right. And the word translated shout there means let out a great big shout. And if you translate it into German or French or Italian or Swahili, that word shout still means shout. Why? For joy. Worship the Lord with gladness. This is Thanksgiving week. As a kid, I used to love Thanksgiving week. Partly because, yeah, I got some time out of school. Partly because um, we were going to eat a lot. But really because that week I got to see my grandparents. And I was the first grandchild on either side of the family. And uh, I loved my grandparents. And they loved me. They doted on me. They loved it when I come to see their house, come to visit them in their house. And Thanksgiving was an opportunity for us to go and visit my grandpa, and then when my kids were little, they felt the same way about my parents. It wasn't drudgery for them. It was like, come on, we're going to go to Grandma and Papa's house. And it's like, okay. There wasn't any of that. It was like, yay, we're going to go to Grandma's house. Then we're going to have a great time. And hopefully that's some kind of taste of what you're going to have this week, whatever you're planning to do. 
But you know, when I got to go to my grandparents' house, it wasn't, it wasn't drudgery for me. It wasn't a drag. I think worship is supposed to be kind of like that. It's not like, okay, I gotta go see God. <laughs> you know, it's not like going, waking up for an 8 o'clock a.m. chemistry class or uh, going to the dentist or having a colonoscopy. <laughs> My apologies to chemistry teachers and dentists and proctologists in the house. I don't know if you're here or not. Worship isn't supposed to be a drudgery. Worship is supposed to be joyous. David Dillon, Carl Hellwood should be handing you crash helmets at the doors when you come in for what worship should be like. In fact, the Hebrews, the Old Testament Hebrews, worshiped God with sensuous abandon. Their worship service was less like a symphony concert, more like a pep rally. I mean, the instruments we know they used were not quiet instruments. They used cymbals and tambourines and trumpets and big ram's horns and drums. Sometimes they even danced. You know, the two greatest commands in the Bible... I was taught two commands, and I caught two different ones. The two greatest commands in the Bible, I know you know this, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I was taught. But growing up in church, I caught two other commands. Sit still and be quiet. <laughs> if you've grown up in church, you probably can relate to this. Sit still, be quiet. Sit still, be quiet. Sit still, be quiet. And there's a time and a place for that. Like a funeral. <laughs> but as I've come to ruminate on this, I think sit still and be quiet is less Christian and it's just Caucasian. Right? I talked with a black preacher friend of mine. And black congregations like to give feedback to their preachers. Keep going. Amen. That's right. Tell them about it. And he said, white people give you feedback too, but white people, they take notes, and that's the way they yell back at you. <laughs> but guilty as charged, I understand that. But God wants our worship to be full of joy. How many of you, by a show of hands, remember exactly where you were October 18th, 1992? I thought so. That's 30 years, one month, and two days ago. I remember exactly where I was because that was the date of my first NFL game I got to attend in person at the old Mile High Stadium where I got to see the incomparable John Elway quarterback the Denver Broncos against the mean, nasty, rough, and sometimes dirty Houston Oilers, a team that no longer exists by that name and good riddance, I say, because the Oilers had a nasty reputation. They played fast and loose with the rules. They'd hit you when the ref wasn't looking. And the Broncos, on this day in October 1992, had their hands full with the Oilers. In fact, they were down in the third quarter, 14 to 10. And then John Elway, who was orchestrating the offense, took a snap in shotgun, and he looked downfield to pass the ball, and no one was open, and no one was open. And then suddenly, not one, not two, but three, massive, mean, defensive lineman from the Houston Oilers broke through the line and started making for John Elway. But a lesser quarterback might have thrown a hurried pass or thrown the ball out of bounds or taken a sack, but this was John Elway. And he had the ball. 
and he'd started running sideways toward the sideline, his eyes bulging, and he's pointing downfield while he's still running toward the sideline with the ball with these three Houston Oilers linemen in pursuit. And the buzz went through the crowd, 76,000 of us there that day, a buzz because we knew something either really good or really bad was about to happen <laughs> to the Denver Broncos on this play. And so Elway, he's running, and he's going to the sideline, and he's going to the sideline, and these Oilers they're closing in, and they're snarling, and they're mean. Hulk smash. They want to get their hands on John Elway, and they want to drive him into the, the turf. And just before he runs out of room, and just before he runs out of time, John Elway plants, and he slings this glorious pass, a laser, through the air. Not 10, not 20, not 30, but 42 yards into the waiting hands of Mark Jackson, into the end zone, both feet down, catch, touchdown Broncos, and the whole stadium, the whole stadium remained seated and clapped politely and thought, well, wasn't that good what he just did? No, that's not what we did. We erupted into jubilation, complete strangers, high-fiving one another, hugging one another, people throwing babies in the air. A section of 10 or 12 men to the right of me stood and raised their glasses, their, their cups, and sang a touchdown song that apparently they had composed just for the occasion. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that in worship, when we shout for joy to the Lord, make a joyful noise, worship the Lord with gladness, that we need to be doing cartwheels down the aisles or high-fiving each other. I'm not saying that. But if 76,000 people can just erupt because one guy threw a ball across a chalk line to another guy. I like to think you could see where I'm going with this. <laughs> Our Lord God has been scoring touchdowns and hitting home runs and slam dunking in the lives of his people and his church around the world all week. And when we gather in his name today, we're going to stand to our feet if we're able. The worship team's going to come back up here right now. We're going to lead us in a time of joyful celebration because our God is our God. If you're able, stand up and let's shout for joy to the Lord. Make a joyful noise and worship him with gladness. Amen. The tears may fall, my sun will rise, my sun will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my sun will rise, my sun will rise to you. I'll just breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart.
sorrow comes my way You are a shield around me Always you remain My courage in the fight I hear you call my name Jesus I am As we say in South Carolina, y'all can have a seat. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, worship team, for rocking it out for us. Okay. The psalmist conveys the joy of worship. The first thing he talks about. God wants worship full of joy. But then, verse 3, he tempers that joy, counterbalances it with reverence for the object of worship. Verse 3 reminds us, the Lord is our creator and our leader. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. This is our second principle. God wants worship full of joy and God wants worship full of wonder. Wonder at who he is and our relationship with him. A few years ago, my older son, Taylor, had spent summer in Los Angeles, California, and at the end of his time there, um, I flew out to California to meet him, and we we're going to drive his car from Los Angeles back to our home in Indianapolis. And I asked him before we left, I looked at the route we were going to take, and noticed we were going to be within 50 miles of the Grand Canyon. And he'd never seen it. I said, do you want to take a detour and go see the Grand Canyon? And he said, well, I don't know. You've seen it. You think it's worth it? I said, yeah, I think it's worth it. <laughs> but it's your decision. It means we're going to have to leave a little earlier, and, you know, trip's going to take a little longer. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, sure, open to it. So that, that morning, the next morning, we, we drove out, and we were driving across Arizona. I said, okay, well, the exit's up ahead. Do you want to go to the Grand Canyon or not? He said, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's go see it. And so we exited and we drove 50 miles off the interstate and we got to the parking lot for the Grand Canyon and we got out of the car and walked to, past the visitor center and up to this grove of trees that kind of obscures what you're about to see. And then the trees parted and there we stood and the Grand Canyon in all its grandeur was stretching out as far as the eye could see to our right and to our left. And Taylor was standing there silently. I said, well, what do you think? And he said... Oh, yeah, totally worth it. <laughs> and this is a picture of him at the Grand Canyon that day. I wish a picture would do it justice. Right? Those of you who've been there know what I'm talking about. I think it's one of the helpful things in my worship to think about something that's really awestruck me. What's something like that for you? Something that's left you with a sense of awe, a sense of wonderment, that's moved you emotionally at the sight of it. 
Maybe for some of you it is the Grand Canyon. Maybe for others of you it's the ocean. Heck, could be the Rocky Mountains, right here where we live. Purple Mountains Majesty. Or maybe it's not something big, maybe it's something small. Maybe it's the first time you ever looked through a microscope and saw all that activity going on in one little cell. Or maybe it's the first time you held your newborn baby in your hands, cradled him or her to your chest. I think that's a sense, a taste of the wonder that the Lord wants us to have in our experience when we worship him. I think that's a taste of what it means to stand in the presence of a God who is our creator. To know, as the psalmist says, that that Lord is God. It's less about a cognition than recognition. It's an acknowledgement. It's a confession. It's a statement. Know that the Lord is God. It's a statement of awe and reverence and wonder. And it puts us in our proper place with respect to our God. I mean, think about it. A created thing has an obligation to its creator to be what the creator wants it to be, right? A painting has an obligation to the painter to look the way the painter wants it to look. A song has an obligation to a songwriter to sound the way the songwriter wants the song to sound. A book has an obligation to its author a piece of pottery has an obligation to the potter. And so also a person has an obligation to their creator to live as their creator wants them to live. A church has an obligation to its Lord and Savior to worship the way he wants. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage I'll tell you about a pastor's meeting that I was in one time where a group of us were gathering. It was for some, some ed- continuing education, and our facilitator said, okay, I want you to all stop thinking of yourselves as a group of pastors. I want you to envision yourself that you've come to a meeting of egomaniacs anonymous. <laughs> and we said, what? He said, look, we all struggle with this, right? Not just pastors, but everyone. We're all raging egomaniacs, even if we're quiet and polite about it. And so one by one, we would all stand and say, hi, my name is Dave, and say, hi, Dave, and I'm a raging egomaniac. And we'd have to confess something to divest ourselves of that sinful identity and put us in right relationship with our God. I mean, I can get incredibly self-absorbed. Maybe you're not like me at all. But I can get incredibly preoccupied and not pay adequate attention to my wife, my kids, my obligations, much less to my God. But worship breaks me of that. Worship is the strategy by which I interrupt my own sense of self-importance and pay attention to God. That he is the one true God. That he is my maker and creator. That I'm accountable to him that I hold incredibly privileged position with him. So let's offer worship to our Lord full of wonder.
a breath when I doubt it, Lord, reminds me I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and the potter, I'm the canvas and the clay. And you make all things work together for my future. take a couple moments of silence to think about, to let our hearts marinate in wonder at our God's presence. Go ahead and close your eyes, get comfortable, continue to stand if you like, but take a deep breath and consider this simple yet endlessly profound truth that God is with us. King David wrote, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Why? Because you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. Take a moment and sit in wonder of God's presence.
Bradford, governor of the Plymouth Colony, issued the following proclamation in 1623. Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forests to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and little ones, do gather at ye meeting house, on ye hill, between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime, on Thursday, November ye 29th, of the year of our Lord, 
1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. Apparently the pronoun ye was quite popular in 1623. But this was his point. Thursday is our special American holiday for giving thanks. What are you thankful for? I mean, really, deep down, not just paying lip service to stuff. What are you really thankful for? And is, is gratitude something that would characterize uh, your soul, your spirit? An old Peanuts cartoon from years ago this coming week had Snoopy the Beagle getting dog food for his Thanksgiving Day supper. And he's aware that everyone else in the family is inside having turkey. He ruminates and talks to himself, well, how do you like that? Everyone's eating turkey today, but just because I'm a dog, I get dog food. And he trots away and positions himself atop his doghouse and concludes, of course, it could have been worse. I could have been born a turkey. God wants worship full of joy. God wants worship full of wonder. And God wants worship full of thanks. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God wants worship full of thanks. And sometimes we get so preoccupied or so worried or so frustrated, or distracted that we miss this. A businessman was on his way to a very important meeting and he was running late. He was in his car and he arrived to the building where the meeting was, but he could not for the life of him find a place to park his car. He circled the building once, he circled the building twice, the parking lot said, full, no spaces, and desperate, because he was running late, he started to pray. And he said, Lord, if you'll just give me a parking place so that I can get to this meeting and not get in trouble, I promise, Lord, I'll, I'll go back to church. I'll go to church every Sunday. And Lord, if you'll give me a parking place, I, I'll even quit drinking. And just then a car pulls out on the street, miraculously, and he says, oh, never mind, Lord, I found one. <laughs> I'm like that, aren't you? Thanks and praise go together because the Lord reveals himself in both his glorious perfection and his mighty actions. My mother's father, my granddaddy, used to pray before every meal the same prayer, such that I memorized it and internalized it. He would bow his head and he would say, Father, Humble our hearts, make us truly thankful for these and all thy many blessings. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Simple prayer of thanks. Where you stop what you're doing, just thank God. And you might say, you know, <laughs> I've had some days here lately. I don't have much to thank him for. I've got stuff going on in my life at my work or at my school or in my family. I've got some concerning Medical news, maybe? And so what should I thank God for? Well, years ago when my younger son, Jameson, was little, 
Uh, we used to pray before I put him to bed every night. And uh, one day he just had a really hard day. Just had a lot going on. Nothing went his way. And uh, I said, what can you thank the Lord for tonight, Jameis? And he said, Daddy, I can't think of anything. It was a terrible day. And together we came up with this. So well, why don't we thank God that the day is over and that tomorrow is a new day? And that sounded good to him and we prayed together. God wants worship full of thanks. What do you thank him for? I mean, spontaneously, regularly. Do you regularly find things to thank him for? Do you know that he's good, he's full of unfailing love, and this love endures forever? Two-time Academy Award winner Denzel Washington is best known for lots of movies like Glory, Remember the Titans, Training Day, many others. But this Hollywood A-lister has sounded more and more like a pastor in recent years when he's spoken publicly. Denzel Washington has publicly stated he reads his Bible every day and that he strives to consistently get up and speak of what God has done for him. At a November Thanksgiving banquet a couple of years ago, Denzel Washington urged his listeners to live in a constant attitude of gratitude for God's goodness. Denzel said, give thanks for blessings every day, every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. It is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed at night so that when you wake in the morning, you have to start on your knees to find them. And while you're down there, say thank you. We worship a good God. A God who reveals himself earlier in the psalm as a, a shepherd and we his sheep. So tender is his love for us, unfailing. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to betray you. He's never going to fail you. Even if we don't always understand what he's up to in the moment, in the circumstance, we can always find something to thank our good God for. So as the worship team comes back on stage one last time, I want us to ready our hearts to express thanksgiving to our good God. That he has made us, that he cares for us. He provides us with resources to live and to live for him and make a difference in our corner of his kingdom. Listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. This is our big idea from Psalm 100. God wants our worship of joy, wonder, and thanks. He wants your worship, Centennial Covenant, to be full of joy, wonder, and thanks. And my prayer for you, Centennial Covenant, is that not only your songs, but your very lives will be full to overflowing with joy, wonder, and thanks. Happy Thanksgiving, if I don't get to tell you later.